Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Welcome to the special edition of All Things Catholic. This episode was recorded live at the Northern Colorado Catholic Women's Conference earlier this month, where I was truly like the Blessed Virgin Mary. I was blessed among women. I love being able to present at women's conferences. There's so many great Catholic women who are doing so many wonderful things in their parishes, in their homes, in their diocese. And I want to share with all of you, my listeners here, uh, a little bit of what I shared with them earlier this month. As Catholics, we love Mary. We've got statues of Mary, stained glass windows of Mary, icons of Mary. We have songs about Mary, Immaculate Mary, Hail Holy Queen. We have prayers about Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Holy Queen, Memorares. We have devotions like the Rosary. We even have holy days of obligation related to Mary. So as Catholics, we get to know Mary pretty well. But today, I want to ask you this question. How many of you know the human Mary? How many of you know what was going on inside of Mary, step by step throughout her life? How many of you are familiar with the, what John Paul II called, the interior pilgrimage of faith that Mary made as a disciple? I think because we're so familiar with the Mary of devotion and the Mary of doctrine, we sometimes may forget that Mary was human like us. She no doubt was given extraordinary graces, unique privileges. There's no doubt about that. But yet that didn't take her outside of the human family. She's a woman that we could really relate to. And I think sometimes as Catholics, we put Mary on such a big pedestal. We go, wow, I love her. She's awesome. But man, I can't relate to her. She's the immaculate conception she has never sinned. I sin many times every day. <laughs> you know, when she dies, she goes up to heaven, and then when I die, I'm going to go down into a grave. Like, there's a lot of disparity between me and Mary, right? But at the same time, even though Mary was given these extraordinary graces and privileges, I think she is someone we can relate to a lot. You know, she's a woman who experienced the blessings of great friendship, Fellowship, like with her kinswoman Elizabeth. She's a woman who experienced the blessings of uh, uh, the joy of being a mom. Uh, she experienced the hardships of, uh, of of family life, and the you know the whole move to to Egypt suddenly that that took place in her life. She she experienced moments of of of, of discernment where things weren't clear. And I, I don't know if we often appreciate this about Mary, but the, the Bible does tell us it's very clear that there's moments of darkness, moments when the next step forward isn't clear. Why is this happening? Luke chapter 2 explicitly says Mary did not understand. She probably understood better than everyone else, but she still had to walk by faith and not by sight. There were moments where God was asking her to surrender more, to trust more, to love more, to serve more. She always served with a full heart, but that heart was called to expand throughout her life from Nazareth all the way to Calvary. So what I want to do is walk through biblically some examples of Mary and, and little windows into her soul that we can get from Scripture. And I'm going to draw a lot on insights from uh, Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict as well, and Pope Francis on the theme of discipleship as we go along here. Uh, and I'm going to be drawing on this book that I wrote called Walking with Mary, A Biblical Walk from Nazareth to the Cross. 
And I'll just mention about this book, this is not a book about the doctrines. It's really about this interior life of Mary as a disciple and lessons we can learn from her in our own journey as disciples. Uh, but it's written in such a way that's very biblical. And I, I've gotten a lot of feedback from Protestant pastors. Many Protestant pastors, I guess, have been using this as a Bible study in their parish uh, because they've said things like this. said, you know, I, we, you know, we're not as comfortable with all of the Marian doctrines as you Catholics are. But we realize we've pushed Mary maybe too far to the side. And, and, we have, and you've helped us remind us that she's a model disciple and someone we should love and someone we can learn a lot from. And I want to say she's not just a model disciple. She is the model disciple. She's the first. She's the first person to say yes in the whole New Covenant era. And that yes is reaffirmed over and over and over again. Every time she appears in the New Testament, in the various scenes from the Annunciation, Visitation, Presentation, all the way to Calvary, even to Pentecost, she's seen as a part of the faithful community of disciples, an exemplary disciple, and that's why we want to spend time with her, learning from her. So with that, if I had to ask you this question, I had to ask you, where do we find Mary's first kind of stepping out in faith, her first move as a disciple? Where in the Bible, at least? If you had to pick a scene, where would we see Mary first saying yes to God's invitation to follow her more? Where would you, where would you go? The Annunciation. Okay, what about the Annunciation would you turn to? What happened at the Annunciation where we see Mary stepping out in faith for the first time? Her fiat. Her fiat. Her famous fiat when she gives her yes to the angel's message. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Right? Do you remember that scene? How many of you agree with that? Like that's the first scene? Okay, you're all wrong. <laughs> you're all wrong. And I would have said the same thing before 2008. But something happened in 2008 where I read something from Pope Benedict that made me change my mind on this. I would have always said the fiat. But Pope Benedict actually brought out something in a reflection that shows that there's something earlier in that same biblical scene, but it's earlier in the Annunciation account where you see Mary's tremendous openness. And I think this is very important. It's, it's like one of the first fundamental steps of being a disciple. We're going to see Mary's open heart, this openness to God's will in her life. She acts on that openness at the fiat, but there was already something indicating that she was someone very disposed to God working in her life and really challenges us to, to ask ourselves, do we have that same kind of openness in our lives? You ready? Let's go back to that Annunciation scene. You, you remember the story, the angel Gabriel comes and says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. How does Mary respond interiorly? Do you remember, what does the Bible tell us about Mary's emotions at this moment? What kind of emotions did she have? Was it mo an emotion of joy? an emotion of excitement, cool, the angel's here. Well, what kind of emotion did she have? Do you remember? She's troubled by the greeting and she ponders what the words might mean. She, she's troubled. Let's just face it, she was troubled, right? That's what Luke chapter 1, verse 29 explicitly tells us. She was greatly troubled. And, and, and in fact, the angel goes on to say, do not be afraid, right? So Mary experienced fear. I just want to linger on that point for a moment here. She's troubled. She's afraid. Do you ever have moments where you're troubled? 
Do you ever have moments where interiorly you're anxious, you're worried, you're afraid about something? How is this going to work out? What's happening? What's going to happen in the future? We all have moments like that. If you experience that, realize Mary did too. Mary experienced it. Now, Mary deals with it probably a lot, well, I know, a lot better than we all do. We're going to learn from how she dealt with it, but the fact that she experienced this being troubled, being afraid, is crucial. Now, why was she troubled? Why was she afraid? I always used to think it was because she saw an angel, right? I mean, if you're in the middle of your kitchen doing dinner and you turn around, there's an archangel there, you'd be greatly troubled too. I'd be freaked out. <laughs> I used to think that's what this scene was about. But as you already alluded to, the Bible in Luke 129 indicates something, something else is going on. Earlier in Luke chapter 1, when an angel appears to Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad in the temple, uh, Zechariah is described as afraid at the sight of the angel. Luke explicitly says he's afraid because he saw the angel. But for Mary, it's different. It's not simply the sight of the angel. Luke chapter 1, verse 29 says, Mary was greatly troubled at the saying, at the saying of the angel. And she considers in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. There's something more troubling than the sight of the angel. It's what the angel says that's very troubling. But what's so troubling about these words? We hear them all the time. If a father stands up behind the altar and says, the Lord be with you, what do you all say? Right, because you know the New Mass translation. <laughs> Did Mary know the New Mass translation? Did she know the old one? What would those words have meant to her? The Lord be with you. What would those words have meant to a young virgin from Nazareth or any, anybody in first century Judaism? These words were used over and over in the Bible. And I think some of you know, you've done Bible studies here, right? Do you remember like when God appears to Moses in the burning bush? What does he say? I will be with you. When Moses receives his call to go lead the people out of Egypt. You see, these words are used when God is calling someone on a difficult mission. They're, giving, they're being given a daunting task. And the future of God's people is dependent on how well they play their role. So at the burning bush, Moses hears that he's called to go back to Egypt, to go back to that place where the dictator Pharaoh was trying to kill him, right? Uh, how many of you think that was a job Moses was gunning for? <laughs> That's my dream job. That's on my bucket list. Could I just go back to Egypt, you know, and confront Pharaoh? No. He's scared. He's nervous. He keeps trying every trick in the book to get out of this. But God says, I will be with you to assure him. Uh, Joshua hears these words in the book of Joshua chapter 1, right before he's going into the promised land where there's these large armies ready to pounce on the Israelites. God says to Joshua, be courageous. I will be with you. It looks daunting, but I'm going to be with you and I'm going to protect you and the people. Gideon hears these words in Judges chapter 6 when he's called to fight off the Midianites. David hears these words at the beginning of his kingship. The prophets, many of them heard these words when they're beginning their prophetic ministry. Over and over, these words signal a big call by God. Now put yourself in Mary's shoes. You're in the middle of your ordinary day, and all of a sudden an angel appears to you, and his first words are, the Lord is with you. What are you thinking? Uh-oh. <laughs> exactly. Uh-oh. What is God calling me to? What is God asking of me right now? 
And, and, I, and that's why she's troubled. She's a little nervous. She doesn't know what's going to happen next. She just knows something big is about to be asked of her. And, and I want to take a look at the practical point for us because there's many times where we have our own lower A enunciations where we sense God is wanting us to do something. You ever do you sense God kind of knocking on the door of your heart? Like to maybe be more generous with your money. You know, do you really need that extra feature on your phone or this extra thing? You, you know, you, we're so comfortable. Oh, I, 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 my, my air conditioner keeps it. I can just get it right to 69.5, just like I like it, exactly the way I want. You know, we, we live in such comfort, and maybe God's kind of challenging you. I'm going to make a sacrificial gift to the church or a sacrificial gift to care for the poor and the unfortunate who don't have much. I'm so comfortable. Can I give a little more to serve others? Maybe God's asking you to forgive someone. Maybe there's someone that hurt you a long time ago. Maybe they're still in your life right now, a family member, a coworker, and they really did hurt you. And they haven't said sorry, but God wants you to forgive them. And that's going to be really hard. Not just say, oh yeah, I forgive them, but to really put that forgiveness into action. To really, pr I need to pray for that person. And not just pray, oh, I pray that they get their life together and have a conversion. No, 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 but really pray, Lord, Jesus, bless them, bless their work, uh, bring them close to you. Not a resentful prayer, but really pray for them. That's what the catechism says, that you can turn your hurt into intercession for someone. Maybe God's asking you to forgive someone. Maybe God's asking you to make a change. There's something you're doing in your life that you shouldn't be doing. You know, you gossip. And you keep saying, well, I don't, I'm, I don't really say a lot of bad things about a lot of people, but you do tend to complain and bring out other people's faults. Or maybe, maybe there's a show you're watching on HBO that deep down you know, I know everybody else in the culture is watching the show, but I don't think I would watch it if Father were in the room with me right now. Or I don't think I would watch it if Jesus were in the room with me right now. I don't think I should watch this show on HBO or Netflix or whatever. You get what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm not talking about like some angel all of a sudden comes in your living room. I'm just talking about you get this sense, kind of I wonder what, what I should do. And, uh, or maybe, you know, God's wanting you to be more generous, you know, with your life. to certain, like Maybe he wants you to change your job or maybe volunteer more at the parish. I don't know what it is, but... When God presses in and he puts something on our heart, what do you do? Many times, our first reaction is, ah! You know, we're scared, right? We're greatly troubled. And if you have that, I just want you to know that's human. That's okay. Mary had a bit of that herself. She was greatly troubled. She was afraid, not knowing what was going to happen here. That's human. But Mary's example challenges us to be better at what we do with those fears and troubled feelings. We got to be better. You see, what Pope Benedict pointed out is in Luke 1.29, the text says that uh, Mary considered in her mind the greeting. The word considered in Greek is the Greek word where, uh, where we get the word dialogue in English. And the idea is that uh, we, Mary remains in dialogue with, with God about this. God, she senses God is calling her to something. She's a little nervous about it, but she's going to remain in conversation with God about what might he, she be called to. Listen to what Pope Benedict says. Mary enters into an interior dialogue with the Word. She carries on an inner dialogue with the Word that has been given to her. She speaks to it and lets it speak to her. 
It's like I sense, okay, maybe I should forgive this person. Maybe I should say I'm sorry to someone. Maybe I should give more money. Maybe I should give more of my time. Maybe I should stop watching the show. Maybe I should stop doing this. Whatever that is, I have that initial sense, and I'm nervous, and I'm scared. But do I talk to God about it? Say, God, are you asking me? I, I, you know, I know, I know a lot of Catholics watch this show, so, but are you maybe putting on my heart I shouldn't watch this show? Or God, maybe are you putting on my heart that I, I need to give more time for you in prayer? Or I need to serve more in the parish? Like, just talk to God about it. What do you have to lose from remaining in dialogue with God? The one who created you and loves you. The Mary had that disposition where she talks to God about what's happening and what she's thinking about. You know what we, most of us do, though? When we sense God is calling us to something, or we kind of get that one thought that maybe I should do this, we immediately cut off the conversation. <laughs> we put all these walls and fences around how much God can act in my life. I want God to be a part of my life, but not that much. I don't want to give this up. I don't want to change. I don't want to admit I was wrong. We put up all these parameters. We cut off the conversation with God. We say, of course God wouldn't. No, I don't really need to do that. Oh, I don't really have time. This isn't that big of a deal. Everybody else does this. Those words of rationalization prevent us from growing as disciples. And you are here today, I'm sure, and you're, you're volunteering and helping and working in this parish life because you want to be disciples, not because you want to be stagnant Catholics. If you want to remain stagnant in your faith, just cut off the conversations with God. Don't ask God, what is he really asking for you? What is, he really, what is his will? Don't, don't ask that question. If you want to just be mediocre like the Chicago Cubs, and just like, now the Cubs are actually doing pretty well this year, but in general, they tended to, over the last 110 years, they've been very mediocre apart from 2016. Okay, I'm a Cubs fan. Sorry, so I'm from Chicago. This comes out. But the, the bigger thing is God's calling you to grow. God's calling, wants to invite you, but he's not going to force himself on you. That's why he wants you to talk to him. And, and so it's so important to, to have a disposition like Mary, truly open to God's will in her life. She hears something, she's nervous about it, but she talks to God. Here's the deal. I'll tell you this. I do, I do a lot of work with young people, and I hear something fascinating. When I first started working with college students, I rarely heard them talk about God's will. They oftentimes were just like, oh, there's a plan for my life? Okay, and you're teaching them about this. That was like, you know, 20 plus years ago. Over the last 15 years, I would say pleasantly, very happy that a lot of young Catholics being formed well in their family life or youth ministry programs come to college, enter their adult years with a sense that God has a plan for their life and they want to give their life to this plan, which is wonderful. But then they'll say things like this, like if they, like they, they say, oh, well, God doesn't really want me to go on this retreat. Kind of, okay, God doesn't want you to go on this, or, or God doesn't want me to be in this Bible study, or God doesn't want me to, to move to this different city, or God doesn't want me to make this change. They kind of like bring God's will into the mix of their own decisions each day, which at first glance seems wonderful, but it's also, I kind of, as I poke around and ask questions, what I see is happening is they're just kind of like, they have a knee-jerk reaction, a negative reaction to something that's really scary, and then, so what they'll do is they say, oh, well, I don't have peace. So since I don't have peace, and this is really scary, surely God doesn't want me to do that. <laughs> Let's just think about that for a moment. Did Mary have peace at the Annunciation in Nazareth? What did the Bible say? She was greatly troubled. She was afraid. There was a deeper peace 
in doing God's will. But the initial kind of response was, whoa, what's happening here? It's a little scary. How about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on Holy Thursday night? We see like, oh, I just feel such great peace. He is sweating drops of blood in intense agony. Many times God asks us to do something that's difficult. It's going to cost us. It's going to hurt. But that's the process of us being molded and changed and formed. The peace God wants to give us, he does want to give us peace, but it's not a peace of this world. I think what a lot of young people often do is their initial emotional reaction, they run with that and they assume that that's God's will. Whereas the great spiritual classics like uh, St. Saint, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, there was an early saying among the Jesuits that said this, your initial emotional reaction to something is usually not a sign of God's will. It's usually a revelation of your own disordered attachments. <laughs> Isn't that true? Like it's like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you, you know father gets a call from the bishop, uh-oh. <laughs> what does that mean? What's the bishop going to ask me now? There's a little nervousness, right? And, but that nervousness is oftentimes more like, oh, what does it mean? What does it mean for me? As opposed to, no, I trust my father. My father is going to bring uh, whatever is going to happen. It's going to be good for me. You know, so our first emotional response, don't run with that. Realize that that is what the devil often uses to keep you from being open to God's will. It's the deeper, longer, lasting peace that we want as our guide. That's what Mary models for us. So, if I had to give you an outline of this talk, if we had two hours together, I would walk through all the points in my book, the nine steps of faith that we see in Scripture. And you could break it down different ways, but nine steps of faith in Mary's life. Uh, I, I just chose nine. Again, I think there's many ways you could look at this, but I chose nine scenes, nine pivotal moments. This would be the first one. I call it an open heart. This special edition of All Things Catholic was recorded live at the Northern Colorado Catholic Women's Conference on May 4th in Windsor, Colorado. If you have any questions or want to send some feedback on today's episode, something that touched you or encouraged you, reach out to me at info.edwards3 at gmail.com, info.edwards3 at gmail.com, or you can find me on my website, edwards3.com, or Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I'll be praying for you in Rome. God bless.